Welcome to Stuff We Love Podcast. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Stuff We Love Podcast. I am Scott, one of the hosts of the podcast, and for this, our 14th episode, I am hosting a solo show. The other hosts are all unavailable tonight, but we wanted to get an episode out to you, so I'm going to be giving this a try alone. We'll see how it turns out. Uh, Bear with me as I'm getting over a bit of a congestion. Uh, Tonight, I thought I would share my thoughts on a variety of topics and what will be a free-flowing discussion. So uh, let's begin. Uh, Today, the uh, day we are recording this episode, is Earth Day. And uh, in the world of theme parks, the significance of Earth Day is that it's the day that Disney's Animal Kingdom over at Walt Disney World opened up. Today is the 20th birthday of Disney's Animal Kingdom. And I want to share a few of my thoughts about this theme park. There's a lot to talk about there in light of the recent Pandora developments, which I think would be better to get into with other hosts on the show. And if you go back to our prior episodes, you'll see we've talked about some of that stuff. But one thing I saw on Twitter today, which uh, I was very, when I read it, I was surprised. I hadn't realized it. It was something I knew, but hadn't thought about in light of today's 20th birthday for Animal Kingdom. But out of the four theme parks at Walt Disney World, the Magic Kingdom, Epcot, Hollywood Studios, and Animal Kingdom, Animal Kingdom is the one that's opened most recently. So this this means that the youngest theme park at Walt Disney World is still 20 years old. And that could lead to the obvious question of when is Disney going to be building a new theme park down at Walt Disney World? Because 20 years is quite a bit of time. And even though we are seeing improvements underway at Disney's Hollywood Studios, not too long ago, we had New Fantasyland over at the Magic Kingdom. There are our apparent plans to rework Epcot into something new in the next couple of years. And, of course, we had the introduction over, uh, over at uh, Animal Kingdom of Pandora. It still seems like a bit of a while since a new theme park has opened. And this is made especially more pronounced in light of the fact that right down the road over at Universal Studios Orlando there are very strong indications that they will be opening up another gate, another theme park. So uh, Disney is under a certain degree of pressure to do something significant. That pressure is admittedly lessened in light of the developments and additions at the various theme parks there now. But um, we can't help but think about the fact that as Animal Kingdom celebrates its 20th birthday, it is still the youngest Disney theme park there at Walt Disney World. A uh, few points about Disney's Animal Kingdom. For many people, I think it is their least favorite of the Disney theme parks. Uh, this could be for a variety of reasons. Maybe they don't feel there's enough to do there. They may still look at it as a half-day park. Perhaps Pandora has not meant a lot to them in light of the long lines that seem to dominate the two main attractions there. Who knows what the reason for it is, but I believe that some people there who visit dismiss it in light of some of the other things to do in Walt Disney World. But there is no doubt that Disney's Animal Kingdom is quite an impressive location. One of the things that I personally am consistently amazed by, and we may have touched on this in a previous episode, is the fact that one of the signature attractions over at Disney's Animal Kingdom, Kilimanjaro Safaris, the attraction itself is bigger space-wise 
than the entirety of the Magic Kingdom. And that really is quite remarkable. Think about all the times that you've been in the Magic Kingdom. You enter in Town Square, you walk all the way back, you go to New Fantasyland. It's not enormous compared to other theme parks, but it's still quite large. You think about the fact that this one attraction over in Animal Kingdom is bigger than the whole Magic Kingdom theme park, and it really does blow your mind. Uh, it is also such a beautiful attraction in the sense that when you're on Kilimanjaro Safaris and you're out there in the middle of the attraction, you've lost all sense that you're in Lake Buena Vista, Florida. You might as well be uh, in a location where you're experiencing a true actual safari. It's a remarkable attraction and is one of those must-dos that people should take part in on a Walt Disney World vacation. Uh, the introduction of Pandora was hotly debated not too long ago. It was one of the most intensely debated topics I've ever seen related to Walt Disney World. You had a class of people who felt that this should not be done, that the Avatar film is nothing that deserves its own section at a theme park. And then you had another class of people who felt that despite the flaws in Avatar, it was a film that lent itself to theme park development in light of the beauty that was evident in the uh, Pandora world that was depicted in Avatar. Uh, I probably fell a little bit into the first class of people initially, but then I began to think about what the Imagineers could have done, and I started to go into the second group of people. Now, I have been to Pandora twice. The first time, and I know we talked about this on a previous episode, I was with my co-host Joe. We got to the uh, Disney's Animal Kingdom gate very early before the park officially opened, and we waited in line for a flight of passage for about 90 minutes, went on the attraction, and we were amazed. Uh, it may be, there's no right or wrong here, but it may be the greatest theme park attraction in the entire world. And for that reason alone, Disney's Animal Kingdom plays a very significant role in terms of how theme parks are regarded around the world and what the prospect for future theme park attraction development is in the Disney world. Um, I shouldn't say in the Disney world, at Disney world and in the Disney world of theme parks. So uh, just for that alone, Pandora is remarkable. But on my most recent trip to Pandora, which was earlier in uh, January of this year, 2018, I got the chance to spend time at Pandora in the evening. And from the moment Pandora opened, people were saying, oh, you got to go at night. It turns into a different type of theme park. The lights and everything make it stand out. And I know exactly what they're talking about. The lights make Pandora exceptionally beautiful. To be there when the sky is dark and it is truly night or to be there during that transition from day to night, they're both experiences at theme parks that you won't forget. And when I look back at photos from my time in Pandora in January of this year, I truly might as well have been on the set of the Avatar movie because it looks like I'm nowhere near any type of theme park. So Pandora and its presence in Animal Kingdom, I think, were a major step forward in terms of what Disney's Animal Kingdom was capable of and what it may harbor for theme park attractions around the world in the future. The significant attraction Dinosaur, located at Animal Kingdom, is an attraction I've been on several times. Even though I'm not a real thrill ride enthusiast, I am able to do it without difficulty, although 
Those who are sensitive to motion sickness and strobe lights may certainly have difficulty with the attraction. It's a fun ride. I enjoy it. It comes across to me as a bit dated right now. I could be wrong about that, but that is my impression of the attraction. I think it's worth going on, uh, but it isn't what I would consider to be an essential attraction at Walt Disney World. Another significant attraction at Disney's Animal Kingdom is Cali River Rapids. That's one of those rides where you sit in a big raft and you get soaking wet and a poncho is advised. Uh, You know, it's interesting because I went on Cali River Rapids during a very hot and humid time of the year. It may have been in August a few years ago. And even though I got drenched on the ride, I didn't find the water to be refreshing. If anything, being drenched like that in humid climate is not exactly comfortable, but it was a fun ride. I enjoyed it. It's not something that I would go out of my way to really get on in the future, but something that I would definitely partake in again. A negative comment that many people have about Disney's Animal Kingdom is that some parts of the theme park have what has been described as a carnival-like atmosphere that people consider to be below Disney World standards. I know what they're talking about. Um, That definitely comes across certain parts of the theme park. But to me, it's it's not something that has ever affected my enjoyment of the park. Uh, I usually just ignore those sections and don't spend a lot of time there. Um, I think if you focus on, for example, Pandora, you'll quickly forget about any type of local carnival feel that exists elsewhere in the theme park. And I guess this is a negative point, but it is worth mentioning. One of the things that I always notice every single time I'm in Disney's Animal Kingdom is that it is by far the hottest theme park at Walt Disney World. This is due to a lack of shade in the theme park. And I don't know what else, but there's something about being there where if you are there during August or September or one of those really hot times of the year where it's exceptionally humid, you will be drenched the moment you walk into that theme park. And this can easily happen at any of the theme parks in Florida that time of year. But Disney's Animal Kingdom is exceptionally hot. So when you go there, drink lots of water, be prepared, and you should be fine. A couple other things. Disney's Animal Kingdom has some very unique souvenir shops. I'm a big gift shop person, as I think we all are here on the podcast. I always enjoy looking at the gift shops in Animal Kingdom. They seem to have very specialized merchandise uh, with uh, with an African feel to the products. So I really enjoy shopping there. And finally, Disney's Animal Kingdom is, of course, affiliated with one of the premier deluxe hotels at Walt Disney World, that being Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge. Uh, I have not yet stayed there. I will be staying there later this year. I have spent time at the resort, and it's magnificent. I'll be back to you with a full review after my trip later this year, but it is absolutely stunning, kind of like a Wilderness Lodge type feel, but not exactly the same. Uh, We'll touch on that later on. So that basically sums up some things about Disney's Animal Kingdom that immediately come to mind. Uh, It has been 20 strong years there. I think the future for Animal Kingdom is bright. And uh, happy birthday to Animal Kingdom. It is one of the world's great, great theme parks. Uh, One other topic that I would like to touch on related to Disney is something that came out in the news a little while ago. We're covering it later than I originally intended, Uh, but it's worth mentioning. And that is the parking fees that are being imposed at Disney resorts for overnight guests. Now, a little bit of background on this is necessary. So 
for those that were staying at Disney-owned resorts at Walt Disney World, this includes at the value level, all-star movies, all-star music, all-star sports, pop century. Uh, when you get to the uh, moderate level, you get Port Orleans French Quarter, Port Orleans Riverside, Art of Animation, Coronado Springs, Korean Beach. And then at the deluxe level, you get resorts like Yacht and Beach Club, Boardwalk, Grand Floridian, Polynesian, Contemporary, Saratoga Springs, Old Key West, and I may be leaving out some of them. This does not include the Swan and Dolphin because those are owned by Starwood. But for those that were staying at Disney-owned resorts, they never had to pay a fee to park there overnight. Uh, It was included with your stay. Now, Disney was behind other hotels on this. Virtually every hotel that you go to anywhere in the country would charge parking fees in addition to the room fee. And some of these hotels would charge a resort fee. So, for example, over at the Swan and Dolphin, there was always a parking fee and a resort fee on top of whatever fee you were paying to stay at the resort. Disney had been trailing other hotels on this, but it's important to recognize that when you stay at a Disney World resort, you are paying a premium for the hotel experience. Now, that's not a knock against Disney hotels. Uh, I love Disney hotels. I've stayed at many over the years, and I enjoy them thoroughly. And they offer unique benefits that other hotels in the area do not offer, like the Magical Express service to and from the airports, the uh, convenience of staying on property, convenience of Disney transportation that's provided free of charge, the convenience of getting to the theme parks in, uh, in a much easier fashion than would be the case than if you were coming from off property. So they always offered benefits, but now, but but you were paying a premium for that. You were definitely paying a premium for that. No one can look at prices for Disney Deluxe Resorts and say that those are cheap. They're not. So now Disney comes in and imposes the parking fees. Now let's take a moment to go through what these fees are. If you are an overnight guest at a Disney World value resort, you're paying $13 per night to park your car. If you're an overnight guest at a Disney World moderate resort, you're paying $19 a night to park your car. If you're staying at a Disney World deluxe or deluxe villa resort, you're paying $24 a night to park your car. So let's say you were staying at, uh, let's make up a hotel, the Polynesian, where you're paying a tremendous amount per night to stay there. And let's say you stay for five nights. On top of this, you're going to be paying an extra hundred plus dollars for the ability to park your car there overnight. Now, chances are, if you're staying at the Polynesian, an extra hundred bucks is not going to prevent you from staying at the hotel, especially if you're used to paying for parking at other hotels. But it is yet another added fee that needs to be taken into account when planning a Disney World vacation. And nobody may alter their plans because of this fee. I think that, quite honestly, the fee is going to be a minor calculation in determining whether or not to stay at a Disney property. Because you could go off property, and yeah, you'll pay less for the room, but you are paying a parking fee there as well, and you're not, as, you're not on property. But it just, to me, kind of makes Disney look bad. It, looks that, it makes them look like they're 
trying to get everything they can money-wise out of their guests. Because when you look at the average cost of a Disney World vacation between the cost of getting there and getting home, the cost of staying at a Disney property, how much money you spend on food, how much money you spend on souvenirs, and now you add how much you spend for theme park tickets. And now you add on to that a parking fee, which may give or take bring into the Disney company an extra 50 to 100 bucks on average per uh, per vehicle. When you add that up, that comes to a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money in the world of Disney. Just look at what one Star Wars movie makes at the box office. I I have mixed feelings on this. I understand Disney's a corporation and they are trying to make money and their shareholders are probably thrilled with this. But as someone who is a fan of going to the theme parks and always tries to defend Disney, it's it's hard to do that here given just how much money they're making from so many other sources from uh, guests who come to Disney World on vacation. Uh, One question I have about this is whether or not this will, to a certain degree, affect bookings at Disney resorts. Now, earlier in this episode, I said I don't think it's going to have a major impact, but I could be wrong about that. And an open item is whether or not this will lead to an increase in crowds at off-site resorts. We'll have to see how that develops. Uh, One of the things, though, that I think this kind of touches on, which I'll just say a few brief uh, words on, we'll hopefully cover this in a later episode, is the idea that when you look at the entirety of the Orlando theme park area and you look at the recent improvements over at Universal Studios, where there are a series of Lowe's-owned, beautiful, absolutely gorgeous hotels that you could stay at and pay less per night, than you would pay for staying at a Disney resort. I think it's fair to say that in the future, people will be thinking long and hard about whether or not they're going to choose to stay on property at Disney World hotels or will they go elsewhere to one of the other many beautiful and fun and uh, entertaining resorts in the area. Now, Disney resorts will be fine. Trust me. There will be bookings at all of the resorts in the future, I will continue to stay at Disney resorts. I know my family and my friends will. But I have to tell you, I've been thinking a lot about Universal recently. I've been watching a lot of videos from other uh, vacations to Universal that are posted on YouTube by uh, various vloggers, for example. And I've been to Universal not too long ago. And there is a ton to do there. There is a lot of enjoyable stuff there. And as I mentioned, the hotels are gorgeous. The Royal Pacific Hotel is where I stayed last October. I would love to stay there again. You have Portofino, which is certainly one of the premier hotels in the Orlando area, maybe top five, maybe top two. Uh, hotels like Hard Rock. Uh, Cabana Bay is a fun place. And, and other places that are opening up soon, you have the Aventura Hotel. You have Sapphire Falls, which is already open. And that's just at Universal alone. Elsewhere in the area, you have the World Center Marriott. You have a huge Hyatt, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. JW Marriott, Ritz Carlton, Waldorf. Those are high end hotels, but you still could pay well less per night than you would pay to stay at some of the Disney World Deluxe hotels. So, parking fees, I don't think will have a major change on that, but they, they may have some type of change. And I, even though Disney is doing something that many other hotels have done for quite some time, this is no doubt a notable change to the way they do 
uh, business with their hotel guests. So between the 20th birthday of Animal Kingdom and the uh, discussion on parking fees at Disney Resorts, that's all I wanted to say tonight about the world of theme parks. I'll next turn, and this will be my last major topic of the night, because this is a solo show and I uh, don't want to lose my voice as I'm getting over this congestion, but I did want to say a few words about my experience yesterday at Record Store Day. Now, Record Store Day, for those of you who don't know what it is, is held, I believe it's the third Saturday of every April. It's a day basically to celebrate the independent music shops. Nowadays, there aren't many music stores left, uh, but there are still quite a few that are mainly devoted to the sale sale of vinyl records. And Record Store Day is a day to patronize those stores, uh, to come out and enjoy live music, which occur, which is um, performed at many of those locations. And most significantly, Record Store Day each year brings with it the release of limited edition products uh, that people line up for early in the morning. And then the door at each record store opens and uh, they take in a certain amount of people at a time. And if you're lucky, you'll get one of these releases Many people leave empty-handed because these are truly limited edition, and it's not clear how many of each release the record store has in stock. So yesterday, what I did was I got up early, later than I had planned, but still early, and I drove down to the local record shop and saw the line was absolutely tremendous. Longer than the line that was there last year, uh, it would have uh, required me to wait for hours in line. So I literally turned around and went right home. Uh, later on in the day, I had the chance to go back to the record store where, when there was no line, but people were still shopping for those Record Store Day releases, and I picked up a couple of things. Uh, each year for Record Store Day, Sun Records, the legendary Memphis-based label that gave the world Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins, Roy Orbison, Johnny Cash, and many others, where Sam Phillips, the legendary record producer, was in charge, uh, they release a compilation of songs most of which are not well known to the general public. Um, and uh, they, as I mentioned, they do release this each year on Record Store Day. So I picked up that collection. I also picked up uh, Record Store Day releases for Taylor Swift. I picked up her debut album called Taylor Swift and a uh, blue vinyl and her second uh, album Fearless in the deluxe edition, which is also in a, a colored vinyl. I forget what color it is. Uh, And then even though this was not a Record Store Day release, I picked up the album by the Beach Boys, Love You, which is one of their 1970s releases. Not as well known as some of their earlier albums, but is a really good listen. I'd love to talk about it in a future episode. I'm a big Beach Boys fan. We should definitely cover that. I picked that stuff up, and it was great. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I love going to music stores. It's something that brings back many memories for me and gives me great enjoyment. One of the things that needs to be asked is whether or not having these limited edition releases on Record Store Day is fair because you have a large community of vinyl shoppers out there who are interested in buying product. Uh, But if they're only going to release, let's say, 2,500 of a certain album, and that's kind of the norm, you might say, for some of these Record Store Day releases, there's a lot of people that are going to be shut out of some of these releases and right Literally from the minute the store's open, you see this stuff on sale on eBay. And as a matter of fact, one of the things that I was, uh, the thing I was actually most interested in purchasing, which was 
an Elvis Presley release called King, I think it's King of the Ring or King of the Ring, which features his acoustic set from the 1968 comeback special. Uh, that was sold out of my local store. I ended up buying it on eBay, paid a little bit of a premium for it. Not too bad, but I wanted it. It was a beautiful looking album and uh, I picked it up there. So I'm not crazy about the limited edition releases, although I'm happy for the ones that I do have. So I, I, I get why they do it. Uh, but that was my experience yesterday at Record Store Day, and I encourage all of you to go to the blog postings on the Stuff We Love podcast website, where I did write an entry about the experience of shopping in record stores. So I think that's going to cover uh, the main set of topics I wanted to talk about tonight. But as always, in every episode, I'm going to turn out to our most popular segment, which is the Stuff We Love. Let's talk about some stuff we love. And given that I talked just a moment ago about Record Store Day, let me talk about a recent record release that I am thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying. And it's by the country artist Casey Musgraves, and the album is called Golden Hour. This album is her third studio album release. Uh, one of the things that stands out to me on this album is her sense of melody. Uh, she displayed the sense of melody on her first two albums, but it really, this really shows development in that area. You have these lush, gorgeous melodies that hit you one after the other, track after track, and you realize that she is easily one of the top songwriters in the music business today. Not only are the melodies gorgeous, but the lyrics are creative and fun and quite good. Uh, so I enjoy this album very much. There's a couple of standout tracks, one of which is getting some attention, and that's called High Horse. It is a dance track, but it's kind of like a country dance track. You have to listen to it to know what I mean. It's extremely catchy, and as we head towards summer 2018, it wouldn't surprise me if this song is one of the contenders for Song of the Summer. So we'll probably have an episode later on devoted to summer songs, and we'll see what this one turns out to be. So it uh, is an album that I definitely recommend. We're going to link to it on our website. That's Casey Musgraves' Golden Hour. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Stuff We Love Pod, on Instagram at Stuff We Love Podcast. We have a Facebook page, and we encourage you to go there and like it. We have a website, StuffWeLovePodcast.com. This is where you can go to learn about the hosts and visit our products page, where we will link to things on Amazon.com, for example. If you click those links and make a purchase on Amazon, even if you don't buy what it is that we link to, the show still benefits from that purchase. You also will see links to Movement Watches. We're an affiliate of Movement Watches, and we're honored to be so. Uh, they make great products. I have several watches by Movement. I love wearing them. They stand out. I get a lot of compliments on them. So definitely check out our website. You can write to us at stuffwelovepodcast at gmail.com, and please leave us five-star reviews on iTunes. We're getting a lot of great feedback recently, and we want to see more of it. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Hope you have a great week. And keep on listening. We got great stuff coming your way soon. Take care.